0: blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise when the darkness closes
1: in love. Father we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning we thank you for our great God um, the one who leads us and guides us um, in good times and in bad um, the one who gives us strength and hope for each new day Lord may you make our singing and Our time together, a sweet aroma to you. May it be pleasing to your heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: say welcome to Creekside Church. If you're here as a guest and this is your very first time at Creekside Church, on the bulletin there is an additional flap there and if you would just fill that out and tear it off and put it in the, the little bag as it goes by, i sure appreciate that. And for our church family too, if you have a prayer request or a, something you would like to share with us, you can also fill this out and put it in the offering bags as they go by this morning, sure appreciate that. Also, I'd like to ask if uh, you are, I guess, are the Sunday school kids, are they dismissed right now? Are they, yeah, so if you're uh, children up through fifth grade, uh, you are dismissed now to go to your Sunday school class. I want to bring your attention to a couple of things going on here at Creekside Church. In about a month, we're going to be having an Easter egg hunt, which is one of the main uh, ministry outreaches that we do in the community. And so there's some information in the bulletin. We're going to start getting the pump primed so you're ready for that. Uh, We need some eggs, a few, some little plastic eggs and we need a lot of candy and stuff to go in the eggs. So if you want to start collecting that and bringing it here, you can set it out by the donation station or I'll go out on a limb and uh, Megan will uh, let you put it in uh, her uh, office area for a, a while and then we'll get rid of it. But uh, we'll start collecting it. And uh, we're we last year we had a goal, I think five or six thousand eggs. And we uh, want to put that many out again this year if we can. And so that's all over the church property and lawn. And if you want to volunteer to help, I'd invite you to talk to Megan or Alec, can you raise your hand back there in the back, and Annie, Alec and Annie in the back, you can talk to them. If you want to help out in any way, they'll have some sign-up sheets and stuff later, I'm sure. But they'd sure appreciate that. Last thing I want to call to your attention before uh, Brother Mark comes and, and opens a word for us this morning is that as you leave today, would you just please kind of like we'll do the thing at like the high schools you know kind of police your own area we're having a wedding here the, later this afternoon and so if you would just pick up the stuff that's around your seat that would be very helpful we'd sure appreciate it okay thanks brother mark come and share the word
1: and i thought we were expecting a big crowd today just to hear me but I, it turns out it was just a wedding so that's that's okay um Well, welcome, and it's good to see everybody. Uh, We missed a couple weeks there, sadly, with the weather. I can't think of a time in my life in this church, and I'm a lifer, that we missed two weeks in a row like that. So it's just good to be together, isn't it, as believers, uh, worshiping and celebrating the Lord together. Let's open our time in the word of prayer. Lord, we just ask for you to help us understand your word, to... That your spirit would make it alive in our hearts, that we would learn from this example of faith in the life of Abel, that it would impact our lives, and that we might ask ourselves the question, what are you calling us to do in faith? How, how can we live by faith as the heroes of old did? And I just pray you'd help us in this time now for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one day it's all going to be over in this life, and how do you want to be remembered? When, when all is done, people will remember something about you. Your life will speak something. And for some, it might be some great accomplishment, something significant from the world's eyes, uh, perhaps some leadership role or a business accomplishment, or perhaps a medical advancement in healthcare, or in government, and science. Some people might want to be known by a character trait, uh, such as being a gentle or kind person or someone who had a loving spirit? How do you want to be remembered? How do you want your life to speak to those who come after you? Well, what is the first thing you think of when you think of some of the names in, our, in the last hundred years that should be known to us? Neil Armstrong. We have a picture there. What do you, what do you, think, what do you remember about Neil Armstrong when you hear his name? I, I think Explorer. Uh, how about the Wright brothers? They invented the airplane, and they're remembered for that. How about this guy, Henry Ford? Yeah, Henry Ford, and he's well-known for inventing the car assembly line and making the affordable uh, car. Uh, You might not be as familiar with this guy, but he's actually uh, somebody we should remember. This is Dr. Jonas Salk, who created the vaccine for polio which radically changed the landscape of healthcare in the 50s. Um, there were 58,000 cases in the U.S. of polio in 1952. 31, 000, over 31,000 people died. And 21, 000, over 21,000 had mild to dis- disabling paralysis, mostly children. And then his vaccine came out on April 12, 1955, and the cases dropped from about 29,000 to... Just under 6,000 in just two years. So that's, that's incredible, isn't it? What about the names of Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley, Nate Saint, and Roger Udarian? Are you, these aren't as familiar to a lot of people these days, but it was 63 years ago, in January 1956, when these five young missionaries in their 20s and 30s went down to the eastern uh, jungles of Ecuador and the world received news on January 8, 1956 that the Indians there had speared these five young men to death. These young men went out on faith. They, they left behind the promising careers they could have had here in this country because they believed God was calling them by faith to go do something radical, go down to the jungles of Ecuador to an unreached tribe known for savagely killing people and reach out to them. They had made first contact. They were going to make second contact, but these Indians were scared, you see, and they came out and they attacked them and killed them. But what's incredible about that, the story didn't end there. There were thousands of people who were moved by this story who went out into the mission field. Just within the Brethren movement at a conference in 2000, they asked for all the missionaries to stand up who went out into the missions field because this event had impacted their lives and 3,000 people stood up. And that's just in one smaller movement of evangelicalism. And this tribe, anthropologists would have said, would have revenge killed themselves out of existence had it gone on much longer as they had. But today, there are nearly 300 believers among 1,800 in the tribe among their 15 villages. Eight of those villages have regular meetings of believers. And in the very river where they were martyred. They now baptize new believers among this tribe. And it started with five men going out in faith, not knowing what to expect, couldn't see the future, didn't know exactly how it would turn out, but they gave their lives to the Lord in faith. You know, when God looks across the corridors of time and history, he doesn't necessarily pay special attention to the Henry Fords and Neil Armstrongs, as great as they were but he pays attention to men and women of faith who step out, not always able to see the future and know exactly how it's going to turn out, but they hope and they believe in a God who is with them and who has a plan and a purpose for the good. Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the hall of faith or the heroes of faith or the honor roll of faith or simply the faith chapter, and that's where we are at this time. In this chapter, example after example, is given of incredible faith in the lives of God's people and the lesson is that even though God's promises were often unseen they were very real so real that in the present they could live by faith and walk by faith believing that those things were true they believed what God had said that he would provide a savior a sacrifice who could take away their sins they believed in the promises of a land and an inheritance even though they never received it in their lives Today we're going to look at just one of those lives, the first one in the list, the life of Abel. And this chapter connects to chapter 10 where you've got to remember the original readers, the Hebrew audience that received this letter, were Jewish Christians who were under a lot of pressure, external pressure, internal pressure, to turn back to Judaism. Now it was okay in the Old Testament times to be a follower of Judaism and look forward to the Messiah but once Christ had come and made that once-for-all sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind for all time, it was no longer okay to turn back to Judaism. It was now to turn from Judaism and turn fully to Christ. But these people were under pressure. And in chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive The promise but we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul you see true believers aren't those who draw back from Christ they aren't those who go back to the materialism of this world or some other religious system they used to be a part of you know we're like this too we need sometimes we need encouragement to press on and the author here is saying the key to enduring the key to perseverance is faith And he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. You know, it's faith that enables us to overcome the obstacles and the discouragements and the hardships in this life, to believe that God has a great future for us and that he is going to restore justice to this world one day. And so today, we're going to look at this first hero of the faith, Abel, and his brother Cain. And let's look at what Abel, what made his faith Really stand out for all time. I mean, God could have recorded so many different names, but He hand selected a a certain number of people from the Old Testament to stand out for all time for us as examples of faith to encourage us to endure and to press on to the end. And so let's look at Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. I've entitled this sermon, Abel, a Dead Man Speaks. His life speaks something to us when we consider what faith is, people think of faith in different ways. Everybody has a capacity for faith in the natural world. Uh, we, we drink water from a faucet believing it's pure and drinkable. We eat food at a restaurant believing it hasn't been contaminated. We, um, I got on an airplane three weeks ago and I hadn't done so in 13 years and I was kind of like that excited little kid looking at the window, fascinated by the wings and the takeoff, you know, and everybody else just got on and was checked out, ready for the flight to be over. But I was kind of excited about it and just, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating, you know, the, the idea that we're f- taking off in this plane and flying through turbulence and coming in for a perfect landing. And when the plane came into Des Moines and the wind chills uh, and the plane wings were going like this, I was a little squeamish. but. But you have to have a little bit of faith, don't you? And and I have a little bit of faith that my 19-year-old car is going to hold out a little bit longer for an up-and-coming driver who's maybe not quite as excited about a rest bucket, but uh, a privilege. You know, spiritual faith, though, is radically different. We all have a capacity for natural faith, but we don't all have a capacity for spiritual faith because no one seeks after God. No, not one. There is none who does good. There is none righteous. And we're dead in our sins and trespasses, the Bible tells us. We don't have a capacity for spiritual faith unless God awakens that within us. And so it's a supernatural thing. Spiritual faith is something the Holy Spirit makes alive within our hearts. And faith, as God reveals it to us, is believing God and acting on what he has said or revealed. It's never a blind leap of faith. God's promises about the future are real, and they are real to us as the material things that we see today. We can't see all the future, we can't see all the invisible actions of God, we can't see all the activities in the spiritual realm, but we believe them because we read in the Word of God about them, and we believe the promises about the future for this world today. And that's what's true about these Old Testament heroes. There's really two kinds of faith, as Steve talked about last week, saving faith That time when we're cleansed, that initial conversion and cleansing when we believe God's promise of forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then practical faith or living faith, where once we're cleansed and forgiven, we have faith to believe God daily. It's a daily reliance upon God. It's a life of obedience. And our chapter 11 in Hebrews is all about that living faith. But Abel today is kind of unique in that he's both a great example of saving faith and living faith. And so to really understand and appreciate the story of Abel, we have to go back in our Bible to the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 4. And to set the scene for Genesis chapter 4, we think back to the first two people, Adam and Eve, that God created in perfection, in the Garden of Eden where there was no sin, no curse. And then through treachery of Satan tempting Eve and Adam, they fell into sin when they ate that fruit of the forbidden tree. And then God punished them. To Adam, he now had to work hard for his food by the sweat of his brow. And he would now have a tendency to want to rule over or dominate his wife instead of lovingly lead her as he did before. And to both of them, they were giving the curse to that they would no longer live forever. They would die which I think is actually somewhat of a, a grace in itself. Can you imagine living in a sinful state for forever? That would be horrible. To Eve, he gave the curse that she would have pain in childbearing and that she would now have a tendency to want to rule over her husband instead of lovingly submit to him. And then the serpent, Satan, was cursed to crawl on his belly. And then part of his curse too, and this is key to understanding our story, is that there would be a seed or an offspring, a descendant of Eve one day that would crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. That last part there, the curse on Satan, is the first prophecy in the Bible of God's victory over Satan and sin and death through a redeemer, a seed, who would bruise the head of the serpent. It's a prophecy, too, of how Satan would inspire the crucifixion of Jesus the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of this Messiah, the seed of the Eve. And so we have the first pr- prophecy of the crucifixion and the victory over sin and death and hell. And after they sinned and received this curse, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden. But one very interesting thing at the end of chapter 3 there is that in their attempt to cover their shame, they sewed together fig leaves to cover their shame and nakedness. But that was not acceptable to God. He didn't accept their man-made attempt to cover their shame and sinfulness. And he made clothes of animal skins to cover them. And how do we get animal skin clothing? God had to make a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, to create these animal skins to clothe them. A.W. Pink's exposition of Hebrews highlights four things out of this that God was speaking. Maybe he actually said these things, we don't know, but... The fact that he covered them speaks four things. First, to stand before the holy God, they needed a proper covering. And second, humanly manufactured coverings were not adequate. Their fig leaves were their attempt to cover their shame and nakedness and it was not passable. Third, God would provide the necessary covering for their sin. And fourth, the only acceptable covering for their sins required the death or shedding of blood of an acceptable sacrifice. And so right from the start, God taught them how to rightly deal with their sin, that they couldn't do it themselves. It wasn't acceptable to any way they could come up with was not acceptable, but it had to be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice provided by God to cover their shame, to cover their sins. And so we come to chapter 4 now, and Eve gives birth to her first children. And you know, there's nothing more hopeful than giving birth to a child. When you give birth to children, the the future's all there. There's a lot of hope and potential and promise for the future of this child. And I think maybe Eve, as she has her first child, she's perhaps thinking that maybe this is the seed, the promised seed, the offspring that would crush the head of the serpent. And this is sadly the most hopeful moment of Cain's life. Because we read just 16 verses later that he left the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. A tragic ending. But let's read this here. In Genesis 4, first five verses, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Consider Cain, firstborn on the Firstborn person on the planet, Adam and Eve were created. Cain was the firstborn person. And Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The word Cain is is a craft or a formed thing. And and Eve is saying, I have received a, a formed thing from the Lord, Cain. And she's excited and may have thought he was the promised seed who would undo the curse and the damage by sin. He was a tiller of the ground. Nothing wrong with that. A noble profession just like his father. He would have provided food for the family. And then consider Abel. His name means breath or vanity. Hebel in the Hebrew literally means a mere breath. And how true that would be for Abel. It was cut short, as we will see. He may have been Cain's twin. We don't know. It says she bore again. We can't prove that, but maybe. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, it says. God told man in Genesis 1:28 to have dominion over the animals. And so Abel was doing a good thing yet. Now, the eating of meat was not yet permitted until after the flood by God. So, presumably, the keeping of sheep was for clothing and for sacrifices. A side note here, and I love how Steve ties in some of the science because science is—it's never a choice between believing science or believing the Bible. And and it's a tragic thing if we ever teach and preach in a way that says you have to choose between faith in the Bible and the science of this world because science always aligns. With the truth of the Word of God. And you know, the scientists and the popular science out there will say that, well, Cain and Abel could not have, the Genesis couldn't have been true because the early men were so primitive, they couldn't have had language and social events and structure and like this. Well, what we read in the Bible is that the first people had language, they had societal events like these sacrifices we're talking about, and they were very developed. God made, God breathed. In fact, they were probably some of the most perfect human beings in all of history because the ge- degeneration de- <inaudible> not pleased with this offering. I've, I've read one suggestion that said maybe Abel, the smoke from Abel's offering rose straight up and Cain's didn't. I don't know. But I, th- I think maybe one of the more likely ones is there's times in the Old Testament you read of God consuming a sacrifice with fire. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, In the days of Moses and Aaron, uh, Samson's father, Manoah, Solomon's dedication at the temple, and probably the one you remember a little better than those stories is when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and God sends the fire to consume the sacrifice. Perhaps he sent a fire to consume Abel's sacrifice. I don't know. It's fun to think about. But the emphasis here isn't really on just what they brought. And it's not really on how God showed them that he accepted one and not the other but the emphasis is on the person who brought the offering it says Abel and his offering God accepted Abel the person and his offering God did not accept Cain the person and his offering Abel obeyed and Cain did not the heart attitude is what God was looking at he was looking into the very heart to the soul of these two people And he could see in Abel, a person in his heart, he was righteous, he wanted to to do anything God asked of him, he would obey God, and here was Cain, who thought it would be better to do it his way. And that is really uh, the very first picture in the Bible we have of the heart of an unregenerate sinner, in Cain, somebody who wants to come to God his own way, his own self-styled religion way. But let's look at Abel here. Abel's life speaks to us three things. His faith speaks to us to believe what God has said. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. What had Abel heard? He heard that God offering that speaks to us of a life of obedience. And by faith, his death speaks to us. He finished well. You know, we don't know when our lives are going to finish. We need to live here and now in such a way by faith that if the Lord should call us home now, we would have finished well. Abel didn't know his life would be cut so short, did he? These five young missionaries in Ecuador didn't know their lives would be cut so short. But they all finished well because they were living here and now by faith. And Abel was living by faith in the here and now. His death speaks to us and it, we look in the rest of the verses here and I don't have time to cover them all in detail, but I will read them and make a couple comments here about Cain. It says here in Genesis 4, verse 5, that Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore... Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Why did Cain kill Abel? 1 John 3 tells us, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. The New Testament testimony of Cain is a sad one, isn't it? And Jude, it tells us in Jude 11, speaking of false teachers and prophets, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So whereas Abel is in our heroes of the faith chapter, Cain for all time is mentioned as the way of Cain. The one who is of the wicked one. And why is that? It's because Cain came to God his own way. It's like when Adam and Eve tried to make a covering for themselves out of the fig leaves. Here is Cain coming to God in his own way. It might have been the best of his crops. It might have been the best cornucopia of crops that had ever been presented. But it was not the right kind of offering And his idea, his works, his way that he thought was better was actually unacceptable to God. He brought the fruit of his labor, but it wasn't a blood sacrifice. And so what was evil about his offering, first of all, was that he had the wrong spirit about it. In his heart, he had already decided what he was going to do. and that He had already reasoned within himself to bring the crops instead of the blood sacrifice. And then he brought the product of the ground. And he came to God in the way he wanted and he thought best. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Uh, I like what Steve Cole says when he says, Cain was not an atheist. He was a religious man who believed in God. He brought a sacrifice in order to worship God, although in his own way. You know, that's the problem of the religions of the world today. And you think back to the time of Jesus, those religious Pharisees who believed in God and were trying to follow his law, yet they did not believe they could be right with God by faith alone. And they did not accept his provision of a sacrifice for their sins, the Lord Jesus. Religion today has its own laws, its own rituals, its own works for their faith. You can look at any other religion and cult out there and you can see they're, they're, they're trying to come to God on their own terms, their own self-styled religion. There is, you can look at uh, Islam and see, well, if they follow those five pillars of the faith, they'll be a good Muslim. Or, you know, the Mormons, they go out and spend two years doing missionary work and they've got all these other works and baptism for the dead and lots of things. They'll be acceptable to God. There, there's some uh, Christianity sects where they say, yes, you, you must have faith in God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, but you also must make confession to a priest. You also must have, make prayers for the, for the saints and, and pray to Mary. And, and it's faith plus works. It's man's own idea of how to come to God when God has said there is one way. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And there has always and only been one way to God. And He has told us that way. Any other way is man's way. It's the way of Cain, it's the way of rebellion, the way of destruction. So when He says the way of Cain, you know, we're inundated with it today. The way of Cain, we're surrounded by it. It's the teachers in the schools and in the colleges. Saying there's, you know, every opinion and answer is equally valued. It's the cults, the religions. There's different ways to God, many ways to God. I I sadly remember one time at at Drake after my Emmaus years in witnessing to an Indian student and taking him through the early chapters of Genesis. uh, He was so impressed by that. He he wanted me to give him a Bible. I gave him a Bible and he was going to read it and study it. I was excited. But then he told me a little bit later that I'm going to put it up on the highest shelf in my room. And I'm going to, I believe in Jesus Christ in addition to my other gods. You know, there is one way to heaven. Now just think if, I, I think really the matters of faith and spirituality is the only realm where things are relative, right? I mean, just think if you went to your doctor and you had cancer and he says you have stage four cancer, you need chemotherapy treatment immediately. But then he would go on to add, well, but there are some other doctors here who have different equally valid opinions about how to approach this situation. Dr. B over here says, you just need a little more exercise and good diet. Dr. C says, you need more sleep and some Tylenol. Dr. D says, well, actually, cancer isn't all that serious after all. Just, you know, if you went and something was as serious as that, you would want an exact diagnosis and you want the best best advice, medical advice, the right advice given to you You know, just think that mankind is in a much worse situation, spiritually speaking. We're spiritually bankrupt before a holy God. And we're under his holy judgment. It's a much more precarious situation than stage four cancer. And yet there are many people out there who would say, well, there are many ways to God. Or that sin isn't all that serious. Or here's a way, here's a way when there is only one right way. And God has spoken, and we must believe what God has spoken, and we must obey what he has said and follow him in faith. So Abel's faith speaks to us to believe what God has said. His faith speaks to us in his offering that there is one right way to approach God and be right with God. And his death speaks to us, and certainly his blood from the ground cries out for vengeance, as those verse says. And, you know, ultimately we must leave justice and vengeance for the evil in this world in the hands of God. He's patient right now, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's giving us a time right now to, by faith, go out and proclaim the words of living life, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the Savior of all, but only for a time. And one day He will come and bring justice and judge the world. And we can, we can trust that one day God will vindicate the righteous and judge the wicked. Well, in closing thoughts, I, I want to ask the question how do we measure? The impact of a life. If you just look at the life of Abel, as brief as it was, it, it, it was tragically cut short. He didn't accomplish anything significant that we're told. You look at the lives of those five missionaries in Ecuador in their 20s and 30s who could have had promising careers here in the U.S., tragically cut short. Some people at the time said, what a waste for these five young men to go down there and die like that. But from our vantage point, we look back and we see thousands of people inspired to go into the missions field as a result of their sacrifice. We see or missions organizations and people who have poured their lives over the last 63 years into these Warani Indians who have now have a thriving church presence and, and fellowship. One of those five young men was Ed McCauley. From the testimony of Lou Clarkson, Rod's father, he remembers Ed McCauley growing up in the Sunday school in this church. Here was a young boy who grew up and at one point heard what God had said to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He believed it. He took a step of faith to obey that calling and to go down to the jungles of Ecuador, of all places, to an unreached, savage tribe of Indians and give his life for the gospel what, would, what could God do with someone here? Some young man, some young woman who might be hearing this story right now. And, and, and one question was posed to people after the sacrifice of those five young men. Who, who will take their place? Who will stand in the gap? Who will go out? And many answered that call. And that call goes out today even to take a step of faith. Could God be calling some young man or some young woman here in this congregation, maybe not even a young man or young woman, it's never too late to go out in a step of faith and serve the Lord. You know, it's hard to do when we're surrounded by the way of Cain, isn't it? It's, it's oppressive, it's discouraging, it's frustrating at times. You see what's going on in the state of New York celebration over third trimester abortions and that just, well, I won't go there, but it's frustrating it's frustrating. And, you know, ultimately we leave justice in the hands of the Lord. And what this world really needs is the gospel. We could make this land of America a land of God's laws, but without the gospel, what would that be? I I still believe it's important, though, that we engage with our culture. Take steps of faith, my friends. If, If you're burdened by what's going on in the abortion scene, you, you have opportunities to go out and lobby and be engaged in the process, volunteer at pregnancy centers, donate money to where they um, set up ultrasound machines in all these pregnancy centers so that they can see their baby earlier on. They find that at least 60% of them choose life when they see that picture. So there's ways we can engage in our culture. You can engage in the political process. If you're tired of all the terrible teaching out there, study up and become a good teacher yourself. Go out there and influence this culture. By, take a step of faith. You know, who knows what God could do with this congregation if each one of us were to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What, could, what are you calling me to do by faith to impact this world? Just think. I mean, last year I had no idea that God would call us by faith to take in uh, an extra five children on top of our four for some months, not knowing how long that would be. And my brother Bob, you know, taking a step away from the corporate world and by faith stepping into a ministry role. That would be hard to do by faith. By faith, a small team from here went to Haiti last fall and saw many children want to Christ and built very helpful wooden cabinets for the hospital there. What is God calling you to do by faith? We need to live by faith all the time, not knowing how long we have. By faith, we believe what God has said. By faith, we obey the Lord. And by faith, we need to finish well But we don't know when that finish will be. So we need to live now in the present as if it could be any day. I think to people here in this congregation who have finished well, I think of as a boy, my parents bringing Jim Wright in uh, every week, a man who faithfully prayed on his knees three hours every day, wore holes in the carpet down to the floorboards in his house. He was a man of faith. Bern Iseminger, a man who uh, pulled me aside one time and talked to me about baptism and the importance of baptism, and, and I was baptized shortly after, and a man who stood up sharing in the first service one morning in his feebleness when he was weak with cancer, and after he sat down, he passed away into the presence of the Lord right after sharing. I thought, that's the way I'd like to go. What about Ray Johnson, a faithful elder? What about Lou Clarkson, who in his last days, as Kyle was visiting him in the hospital, and we were teaching through the series of Malachi here, and he himself was all excited about Malachi and couldn't wait to tell Kyle about some things he was learning and reading about Malachi. Just think of that example of faithfulness in your last days, finishing well, of Jay Fippinger who labored for his life translating the Bible into another language. And it took his whole life. And at the very end, and and he was suffering with Parkinson's and it was difficult for him. But I remember visiting with him in one of his last few years and he, he, with pride in his face, held up the finished translation of the Bible in the Tiedon language with joy and pride in his face that it was done. He was a man who finished well. I think of my granny who couldn't do a lot physically in her last years, but she was helping with the Iwana kids, leading children to faith and writing letters to missionaries all over the world to encourage them by faith. Who knows how much of an impact that might have had in her last years. Brothers and sisters, we need to live our lives now in such a way that if the Lord were to call us today or tomorrow, we would have finished well. Like Abel. And his life speaks to us. His death speaks to us of a life finished well. A life lived by faith. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this story, this great example of Abel. Uh, As brief as his life was, a mere breath, it still speaks powerfully to us throughout the ages, even to today in our modern times. Lord, we see ourselves surrounded by the way of Cain. We see ourselves inundated by wickedness. And it's frustrating, it's overwhelming at times, Lord, but help us to persevere, to endure by faith, always believing what you have said to be true, always obeying you in faith and obeying you faithfully to the end. May you stir up this congregation to love and good works. May you encourage individuals to examine themselves before you and ask, Lord, what is it you might be calling me to do by faith this year in 2019? I pray you would be glorified and honored in each of our lives and through the ministry of this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're now gonna take our communion and uh, I think it's very appropriate when we think of the blood sacrifice that was necessary to, to take away our sins. That they're, they're, All those sacrifices, all those altars, all those tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals sacrificed, came to an end at one point when the Lord Jesus Christ offered that perfect sacrifice once for all time for all who would believe. And we celebrate that now in the Lord's Supper as we take the bread and the cup reminding us of of that time when the Lord Jesus' um, body was given for us on the cross and his blood shed for our sins and that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. And So when we take it just... With hearts of gratitude, um, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us to make an acceptable sacrifice to take away our sins.